0: Uh, this will be the last message in this series uh, out of Second Timothy that we've been in the last few weeks, um, and i I want to I want to remind everybody the context because I think the context of this setting of the scriptures and of, of Second Timothy and what we've been talking about the last few weeks is so important to understand and, and the, the heart of what Timothy is going through. And if you don't know, Timothy is a pastor. He's a, the lead pastor of the church of Ephesus. Uh, and Ephesus, we know of because of an Acts. Ephesus was a, a church. When the gospel got introduced to Ephesus, it exploded to the point where dozens and then hundreds and then thousands and potentially tens of thousands came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and so uh, faithfully began to follow Jesus that they just completely, completely abandoned their pagan lifestyle and their pagan worship. And this created a huge economic downfall uh, in in the heart of Ephesus that created the community and the culture uh, to just erupt in anger and frustration and rage towards the Christians. And there were actually riots. And kind of from that point forward, you have this dichotomy of, of the church in what can only be described as just massive revival and the culture in massive riots. And there was just this significant tension and this significant uh, pressure from the culture of Ephesus to the to the church of Jesus Christ to abandon the faith and to shut up about their faith and to stop talking about Jesus and to stop preaching the word of God and, and specifically around a few sins uh, they wanted to just be silent and to just go away uh, so that the the people would go back to their pagan lifestyle back to their pagan worship and 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 everything could roll as normal and so this was kind of the heart of it. And, and, and what, what we kind of see, the overall burden of Second Timothy is, is the Spirit of God kind of coming into Timothy's heart through the writings of Paul to inspire Timothy to stay faithful to the Word of God. It seems like on some level uh, that, that Timothy was struggling with his passion, struggling with his boldness, struggling maybe even with some shame when it came to the name of Jesus because of the amount of pressure that was coming in from the culture and the amount of Of of, uh, false teachers that had infiltrated the church of Ephesus and the way people were just kind of living their lives and leading, there was just this struggle. And so Paul was writing this letter basically to inspire a boldness in Timothy and to prepare his heart and mind for persecution and for difficulty, but to remind him that there is nothing more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ and that this is what he's been called to. And if it's only him, he has to remain faithful to the gospel, become bold as a lion, and Stand, no matter what, whether arrest comes or difficulty comes or even death comes, that he has to stay faithful to the name of Jesus Christ. And as he gets near the end of the letter, and that's kind of where we are, he gets in chapter four and he gives this charge to Timothy. And this is a, a, a dramatic statement, the way that Paul kind of gives this moment. He says, Listen, in the presence of God and Jesus, in the, the light of eternity and his second coming, and he basically just stops and he says, Literally, in the presence of of the creator of the universe and the savior of this world. And in light of every uh, eternal, valuable thing, I'm going to charge you with this thing. I'm going to challenge you to this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm sending you out to battle with this one battle command, and that is to preach the word of God. It's to preach the word of God. And he says, Timothy, you have to preach the word of God. All of chapter three is setting up this charge to Timothy to preach the word of God. And so last week, what we went through was some of the negative reasons why Timothy must stay faithful to the word of God and why Timothy, if no one else will, must preach the word of God. And in the, the overall uh, factors of these, kind of these negative reasons is ultimately that the church itself will struggle with self-worship, that there will be issues within the church, that there will be false leaders who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of Christ, that there will be these teachings that would lead people away uh, from the faith and from the gospel and from the true word of God, that there would, be, uh, uh, there would just be this overarching thing where people would not want to hear the gospel, that they would literally wanna go where they're itching ears uh, want to hear, that 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 there will be certain aspects of God's word that they no longer want to hear or believe and no longer want a part of their life. And so they will begin to reject it and that people in the church, leaders in the church and pastors in the church and, and prophets in the church and, and the fivefold ministry of evangelists and teachers and shepherds, that they would begin to bend their knee to the culture and that they would begin to, to keep people around and to keep people in the seats and to keep people from from abandoning the faith, that they would bend the word of God, change the word of God, and alter the word of God to fit the ears of the culture rather than remaining like a true man of God and a true prophet of God and a true... preacher of God and teacher of God, to where they would teach the true word that they would bend. And Paul says, Timothy, you know, and then he starts to move away from the negative and into the positive. And he says, you know me. You know my way of life. You know the way that I've lived. You know what I went through. Timothy, you know, this is Paul talking, you know that no matter what I've faced, I've never one time bent the word of God. No matter whether they were stoning me, or I was on a shipwreck, or they were throwing me in jail, or threatening me with death, I never backed off from the gospel because Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because within the gospel is the power to save those who believe. Paul understood something that so many teachers in this day and age were losing, and so many teachers and pastors and preachers and leaders in our modern church are forgetting that the only power that exists in this world to change the heart for eternity is within the word of God. And Paul was begging Timothy, if everyone else bends their knee, Timothy, you don't ever bend your knee. You don't ever bend your knee. That was the heart of what Paul was doing as he begins to, to go to the more positive reasons why. We, we get to the end of chapter three and I, we're gonna focus this morning on 2 Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 17. And I wanna teach these out of a translation uh, called the Berean Literal Translation. It's a, it's a translation of the Bible that is right from Greek directly over uh, uh, to, to English and, and it's most... Uh, purest way. Not, now, I know the NIV, ESV, other translations, these aren't bad translations, uh, but sometimes the, the, the richness of the Hebrew language, the Greek language, the Aramaic language, sometimes it can get a little lost in the translation over. And so I'm going to read this morning uh, from, from a translation that you guys probably are reading from, but then I'm, I'm actually going to teach uh, from the literal translation because there's a few words that deeply matter. And I want you to understand what he's starting to do, uh, what what Paul is starting to remind Timothy of. He's starting to remind Timothy where he comes from. He's starting to remind Timothy the role that the word of God has had in his own life and in his own family. And so I I want you to, to capture this because what we can see, what we can learn here, we can learn what the word of God truly is and what the word of God can do in our lives every day if we will allow it and if we will consume it. So this is verse 2 Timothy verse 14. I'm just gonna read through uh, the four verses and then I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna teach it at a literal translation. But as for you, so as opposed to these, these deceitful false teachers, these wolves in sheep's clothing, he goes, but as for you, continue in the things you have learned and firmly believed. Since you know from whom you have learned them, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. So I I want to... Go back and I want to, I'm going to read this and i want to teach through this because the, the knowledge in this and the wisdom in this and what the Spirit of God is trying to remind Timothy and teach Timothy, I promise you, if you will allow the Spirit of God to teach you the Word of God this morning, it will inspire you, it will motivate you, it will equip you and it may change your life forever. This is what he says, "Is Timothy, but you, same verses just in a literal translation... 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, this will be on the screen. But you abide in the things you have learned and have been assured of, having known from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, being able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the first thing he says to Timothy, he says, I want you to abide in the things that you already have been convinced of, that you've already been assured of, that you already know to be true. So again, you have to to remember the context that Timothy is in a season of struggling. And this is such a hopeful thing for me. And it should be a hopeful thing for you because Timothy was a man of God. Timothy was a part of a powerful church movement. Timothy was, he was a rock star in many ways, but he was struggling heavily So I don't want you, the next time that you're in a season of spiritually struggling, I don't want you to think you're just the only one struggling. You're the only one in difficulty. We all walk through seasons of difficulty. God always promises victory, but he never promises victory without a fight. We go through struggles. And so, if Timothy can go through struggles, and if God's response to Timothy is patience and kindness, and 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 teaching him and bringing him back and lifting him up, this is exactly what God will do for you. He's not God is not waiting on you to 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 like my old football coach who thought that he was inspiring us, but really these days we would just call it a, a manslaughter, like a, abuse, violence. Uh, like when we would get weak, his response to us, like when I, I, I could not run anymore, his response to fix me from not being able to run anymore was to run faster. And I'm like, no, you, don't, no, I'm, you can't, no, I can't, I, I can't run this fast. How am I supposed to run faster? Or get down and do bear crawling until I pass out and die. Somehow that'll make me stronger and better. God's not looking to come down and to condemn you and to weigh you down and to put a burden on you and to tell you, I see, I told you you would fail. I told you you wouldn't make it. Like He's not there. All God's doing as a good shepherd, Jesus Christ is walking with you in this life as you follow him and as you go to the right, he's gonna pull you back. And if you go to the left, he's gonna pull you back. And if you stop, he's gonna pick you up and put you up on his shoulders. You serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will never abandon you. He will never shame you for your struggles. He will always be with you. And We see this in this moment when Timothy, who has seen the hand of God move like some of us probably never have before, Timothy was struggling, and he didn't cancel him. He didn't put him off to the side. He didn't raise up somebody else. He inspired Paul to inspire Timothy, to motivate him, to teach him, and to remind him, and like a good shepherd, to bring him back to the fold. And Timothy wound up from this very season of his life to do greater things that he did at the beginning. This is a hopeful thing for us. So if you're struggling this morning, and we go through the word of God, and we go through some of these things, don't let the enemy uh, talk about your weaknesses or weigh you down. This is God's uh, moving in your life to pull you back into the fold. Amen? Amen. So he says, you've already been assured of these things. You already know these things from childhood. What he's trying to get Timothy to see is he's saying, Timothy, I want you to just take a second, and I want you to think about what you truly believe in life. You already believe in Jesus. You know, you have been assured of. You You know in your heart, you may not have all the understanding. You may not have all the knowledge. Uh, you may not get everything. You may have more bad days than you have good days, but you know in your heart of hearts and in your mind, the savior of the world is Jesus Christ. You know this, Timothy. So because you know this, because you've given your life to Christ, and because you've seen what the work of God and the work of Scripture can do in your own family, he's almost definitely uh, referring here to uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother, who were uh, apparently incredibly well known for their faith and for their knowledge of Scripture, uh, that these weren't just two common ladies, that that these were powerful women of God. And and he's reminding them, you've seen what the Word of God does in the life of your grandmother. seen what it does in the life of your mother you know whom it's come from and you've seen what it's already done in your life and you are convinced you are assured of Jesus so in these moments of doubt and these moments of struggle the command is what you've already been assured of then abide in that the enemy will do everything in his power to stop you from coming to Christ and then when Christ saves you anyway he will spend the rest of your life trying to make you forget it trying to work in your life, trying to distract you, trying to drive you, trying to weigh you down until you abandon your faith and you walk away. And what Paul is saying is you know and have been convinced of Jesus. You know of the power of the word of God. You know there's power in the scriptures. So abide in them, dwell in them, stay in them. Don't, don't get out of them. Let them be a daily part of your life. He says, because within them there is a wisdom uh, uh, to save you from, from hell itself, from your sins. He's very careful, and it's a very important thing to know that it is only faith in Christ that saves us. Amen? Faith in Christ that saves us. But he what he's saying is, is that there is a power in the very scriptures and in the very word of God that makes you wise unto salvation. What what allowed that faith to enter into your heart? What allowed uh, that that moment of, of recognizing that Jesus Christ was the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the Son of the living God. It was the sacred scriptures that there, these aren't just history, it's not just knowledge, it's not just wisdom, that these there's a power within the scriptures that when you hear it, it's the only thing like it in the universe, that when you hear it, you could hear the gospel a thousand times, you could hear the word of God a thousand times, but suddenly one day when you hear it, it's different, it clicks, the presence of God, the spirit of God begins to move in your life, and you all of a sudden become just aware and fully encompassed by this man, Jesus, by this, and you become utterly convinced he is exactly who he said he was. That was the work of faith moving in your life. That was the spirit of God putting faith in your heart, as Ephesians says, to strengthen your heart to believe in Christ. Where does that moment come from? Where does faith come from? Well, Romans says, as well as every, uh, so many of the scriptures in the New Testament, that it comes from hearing of the word of God. That this is not just a history book. It's not just an educational book. That there is something divine about this book that allows the human heart and human mind to be saved simply by hearing it and consuming it and taking it in. And so he's coming to Timothy in this moment of weakness when he's struggling, when he's dealing with shame, when he's dealing with where to go next, when he's dealing with the, uh, the pressure of the culture to bend, when people are coming along and saying, okay, it's cool if you say this about Christ or this about Jesus, but this is off limits. You don't talk about this. In fact, we're gonna make this illegal. You think that what we're going through in this day and age, that this is the first rodeo for the word of God? This is all it's been for the last 2,000 years. The enemy works so hard within the culture to outlaw the the Word of God. We see it all through the New Testament in the early church. We see it throughout church history, and we're experiencing it right now. We are not the first ones to face uh, the the cultural pressure. In fact, I'm just going to be honest with you. We don't know jack about culture pressure yet. I think we'll probably experience a lot of genuine, real culture pressure in our lifetime, but right now, we're still in like level one Mario Brothers. We have no idea what's coming. And so he's trying to get Timothy, he's saying, you know what you know, so abide in it and stay in it. Go back to those moments when you have felt the Spirit of God teach you the Word of God and change your life. He moves on from this moment and he he says this crazy, crazy sentence in verse 16. Every scripture is God-breathed. Every scripture is God-breathed. Now, some of you may have grown up with a translation of the Bible that put the word inspired there in that place. There's nothing wrong with that, except it's wrong. What the heck does inspired mean? The only way, you, the only way that word has any power is if you go back to what he actually said to what what the Spirit of God said about the Word of God, that it's God-breathed. Every scripture, every graphe, every written Word of God from Genesis to Revelations, there is a significant amount of of thought here that this first part that I did, verses 14 and 15, we're talking about the sacred writings of what we would call the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. And that this new sentence here, the way that he's saying this and the way that he's teaching this, that he's now kind of communicating to Timothy, you already know the power of the sacred writings. And now I'm telling you every scripture, even the one you're receiving now, what we would call the New Testament is God breathed. It's God breathed. It's breathed out by God. This is the only time in scripture this word is used. This is the only time in ancient literature that this word is used. This word is a powerful word. It is a unique word. It is something that we need to hang on. This is a scripture that every single person, all the dumb things we put on coffee cups and T-shirts, this is the one right here. We need this on something. Every scripture is God-breathed. Now, I want you to just, for a second, I want you to just think about that. I want you to just come to terms with that statement. It's God-breathed. It's it's God-breathed. That every word, every scripture, every verse, Genesis to Revelation, that out of the depths of God himself, out of the depths of the creator of the universe, out of the depths of God, he breathes out this word. It's not just thoughts. In fact, that the Bible gives us something, and if you, if you take this God-breathed concept and, and, you, and you combine it uh, with what, what John says about Jesus, it says that in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word of God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John uh, chapter 1, verse 14 says that the word of God became flesh and dwelt amongst men, that, that Jesus Christ himself said that Jesus, Jesus was the incarnate word of God. So I want you to understand that, and this is difficult maybe for the human mind to really comprehend to its fullest extent, but that every time we, we, we read the word of God, we are consuming Jesus Christ in his fullness. This is why Jesus said, there's things that Jesus said that were just kind of weird, like that he was the bread of life and we should, we should eat some of the bread, but that he's the bread of life. He compares it almost to the manna in the Old Testament. That the way that the people of Israel lived, uh, every, the only reason the people of Israel lived out in the wilderness for 40 years was because God miraculously brought manna to the ground every single morning of their lives. He provided for them. That if it wasn't for the manna, the daily use of manna every single day, they would never have made it. And this is what Jesus says about himself. And Jesus says about himself that he is also the word of God. And then Paul reiterates this one time this word is used in all of of ancient literature, the one time that she was in the Bible, he says, every scripture is God breathed. God is doing everything in his power to get you to understand that this book is far more than what we think it is. That there's something, there's a power in it. That it's, 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 the, it's the breath of God. It's literally God breathing his life into the hearts of dead men and bringing them to life that this word that every scripture is it's it's the breath of god being breathed into the suffocating souls of mankind that that in the same way uh, that god breathed life into adam physically the word of god breathes life uh, into mankind spiritually now, I want you to comprehend this. This is why he, he, he started with verse 14 and 15. He said, it is the scriptures that made you wise unto salvation and uh, in faith in, in, in Christ Jesus. He says that it's the hearing of the word of God, that when you consume the word of God, that it's literally life uh, of God. It's it's, It's the heartbeat of God. It's the mind of God. It's the breath of God. It's God himself, Jesus Christ himself being put into our hearts and put into our minds, and it changes us forever. And in the same way, and I want you to think about this. He could have said this. He could have made a point about the importance of God's word. uh, There's no way to know how many different ways this could have been said. But this is the way that God wanted it said, that it's God breathed. In the same way that you have to breathe uh, physically to stay alive, we have to breathe the word of God spiritually to stay alive. And and that this, this week we were we I, I taught this uh, some of this to our, our staff uh, we had staff church at the beginning of the week and Pastor Taylor uh, he started to, to to talk about he said a uh, pie graph he said if you were to think about this on a on a pie graph level and you were to look at like your life like and you were to take the things that you consume into your heart and consume into your mind every day if if ten percent of that was God's word. You know, And if, if, if 20% of it was, was the news, or 30% of it was Facebook posts, or, or 20% of it was the gossip at work, or, or 20% of it was, you know, whatever. That if you were to take your day, take your week, take your month, take your year, and you were to put up a pie graph, what's the percentage uh, that, that you're allowing the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and to breathe life into you spiritually? It's probably pretty low. And and I remember when, when, when COVID first showed up and basically the news was like, if you get COVID, you will die. There is no if and buts about it. Remember that? The first three months, everybody freaked out. Everybody's like, we have so much faith. They had one newscasting and half the church disappeared the following Sunday. I was like, we need to work on some fear in our church. I know that it was a serious thing. I'm not making light of it. But I am gonna make fun of some people. My wife, starting with her. So she was pregnant. She was pregnant. And and basically the doctors were like, yeah, if you had COVID or been exposed to COVID and and you have the baby, we'll take the baby from you for two weeks. Now, I'm not sure if they know uh, the violence that Courtney would have inflicted on those nurses, but that was still the threat. So she was super scared. So as God is my witness, I'm not exaggerating anything that I'm about to say. I had to undress. In my garage for the first few weeks because of what the news was saying, and take all my clothes off. And if it wasn't for us having a real conversation, I think I would have had to burn my clothes every single day when I got home. That that we would she would spray uh, all of the boxes with uh, uh, that stuff that we spray stuff with. What is it? Lysol. Lysol. Yep. I'm telling you, I think they're behind it. They made billions. Uh, we, we we had to take the bags. It was just all a list of just stories, just stories. And she's not in this service. She'll be in the next one, so I won't share this one in the next one. <laughs> But one of the things is, is that she read somewhere that when you, if, if your heart rate, because you're not getting enough oxygen in, uh, and that you can put this little thing on your finger and it tells you, and so you know if you're dying basically. And, and so when I, I went, I did get COVID and she checked me about every seven to eight seconds the entire day, she's convinced I'm dying. And so one day it malfunctioned. Normally it stays at 99 or 100. It malfunctioned and just dropped to 70 and she just went nuts. Like, you're dying. I'm like, no, I feel good. I can, I can breathe. It's here. It's working. Let's do it again before we just, let's do it again. And, and what we learned through that is that, that just the slightest downturn of, of oxygen changes your way of life significantly. Like from 100% to 90, that's a big deal. 90 to 80, significant. Lower than that, you, you start to not be able to process Lower than that you die. This is we would we would never be at 50% oxygen. We'd never be at 50% of our for our heart rate we would never be at that and go, everything's okay, I'm good. Would we? Physically. No. But I think that's what we do spiritually the vast majority of the time. It's okay. I'm I'm spiritually dying, it's okay. I'm spiritually struggling, it's okay. I, I I I'm I'm enthralled with issues. I don't feel like I can make it. Well, another thing that we do uh, this week, uh, part of launching the school, uh, they had all the teachers had to go through uh, CPR certification, and I'm sure that this is important uh, that you have gloves. I saw them with gloves. I started to make fun of them because I was like, they teach you, you have to have gloves now to do CPR, and I'm like, but aren't you going to kiss them in a second? I don't understand the. Contamination, and if they're dying, do I have to be like, just hang on one second? I'll be, got to find me some gloves. I'll be right back. You good? And I didn't. So, but they had to go through it, uh, and they had to be trained how to how to do it. And, and basically, and if you, I know everybody knows the gist of CPR, like you have to manually like pump their, their, their chest and then breathe literally life back into them to save their life. And I think sometimes the way the American church handles our spiritual life is that, that we expect pastors and leaders on Sunday morning to perform spiritual CPR every single week just to get you back up and keep going. If I am the best part of your spiritual life, that is a problem. That's a problem. And I think that, that pastors, we, in, in just in our day and age, I'm not throwing out any judgment. I struggle with my own stuff. We all have issues. But I think that, that pastors in, in, in America, we've kind of fallen in love with like being your, being your spiritual rock. And so we've made it all about us, and we've made it all about the service, we've made it all about the church, we've made it all about this, and that, that I've got something that you don't have, and you need me, and I'll, I'll be the great prophet and the preacher and the this and the that. And all of that is, is that, that just speaks to the significant spiritual weakness of our country. That Sundays and the large gatherings should be powerful and it should be awesome and I should equip you and I should feed you and I should do that and it's good and we're called to do that and it's powerful. But that should not be what's keeping you going spiritually. This should be the thing that just pumps you up to overdrive. This should be the thing where God's speaking to us on a corporate level. But the word of God is there for your... See, he, what, what, what he's talking here, he's talking about Timothy's personal life. In just a minute, in the next chapter, he, he hits the, the preach the word of God, the corporate gathering, and he, some of the words are similar in English, but they're very different here. And I just want to really fast, I want to just run through what he's saying. He's saying this is going to breathe life into you. It says, every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I just want to hit these really fast. It's God-breathed and profitable. It's beneficial. It will, it, the Bible gives us clear and concise instruction with every major facet of our lives. From, from our purpose, from the, uh, the direction we're supposed to go in life, to how we're supposed to handle social circles and friendships and relationships and marriages and kids and finances and every other way of life, there is clear instruction you know, for what we're supposed to do. Now, we may not like it, we may not agree with it, we may not obey it, but it's there. It's there. And it says that that God says there's a power here that as you go and as you're thinking about life, I want you to understand God created the world and he knows the way the world works. And and he he, he has given us basically a a cheat sheet for how to live in this life. And and there's power in these instructions. There's power uh, in in these directions of life. The wisdom that exists in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, I could chew on every day for the rest of my life and never come to the end of the wisdom. There's just power, practically power throughout it. This is for conviction. And I, and I want you to understand this word conviction is, is such a powerful word. It, I, the way we're most associated with it is when it talks about the Holy Spirit bringing conviction into our life of sin. And this is 100% true, that the Spirit of God can, can bring conviction if there's issues in our life or uh, sin in our life or foolishness even in our life, that the Spirit of God can, can bring conviction and expose that and drive it out of our lives, 100%. But the word conviction is not just negative. It's not just about sin. The word conviction, it literally means an, uh, an inner persuasion that is so strong, it's almost like proof or evidence of whatever it is that God's dealing with you about. So that when you, when you, when you and I'll give you an a, a, a example from my own life. And a conviction is like when you read the word of God. Uh, about two years ago, I became just utterly addicted with the letters uh, to, in, to, in Revelation, the letters to the churches, in that first chapter where it describes Jesus, and I'm not going to preach that and, right now because that's not the message. But as it goes through and it highlights the qualities of Christ in that moment and that he's standing with the churches and he's holding the leaders in the hands and that he searches the hearts and minds of people, there was such an inner conviction, an inner persuasion that God persuaded me so strong with this active living King that Jesus is truly with us and leads us and leads this house, that he is our shepherd. It, these are things that I knew, things that I could teach, things that I kind of had. But about two years ago, as we were kind of going through COVID and going through all this stuff, there became such an inner conviction, a, a, a a inner persuasion from the spirit of God about the word of God. I became, it might as well have been proof. I might as well have seen him physically with my eyes and it's changed the way I've lived my whole life and lead. It's changed everything about the way I view life. That was me giving the spirit of God an opportunity as I read and consumed the word of God to bring this conviction, this inner persuasion, this proof that changed the way that I live my life. Does that make sense? It says that it brings correction. Now, last week we talked a little bit about correction in in the corporate sense from chapter four, but this is a totally different word, totally different Greek word. And what this word means, it literally means that something's bent and you make it straight again, or that that something's messed up and you renew it or you bring it back to its perfect state, to its complete state. And, And the thing the Lord just laid so heavy on my heart about this is that I think that we underestimate the amount of damage uh, that has come to our heart, our mind, our souls from living in this world, in sin and in this culture. That, that we all have mindsets and perspectives of life that are just wrong, they're bent. They're not right, they're not accurate. Sometimes from the way that we, that we grew up, our childhood, we have a mindset of, of rejection. We just feel like we were rejected as a child that kind of rode into our DNA. And now we go through this whole life just feeling like we're worthless. That's a wrong mindset. You're incredibly valuable. Sometimes you, you grow up in a religious setting. You're, you're raised in such a, a tradition that is so religious uh, that, that they just painted such a negative picture of Jesus. You have, you have just a wrong picture of Jesus. That was a lot of my story. I just, the, the, one of the, I was, I faced, Serious anger in my heart when I really got to know Jesus and I realized the picture the American church painted of Jesus was so wrong and so different from this good, holy, righteous, loving, kind, powerful Jesus that I see in scripture. I had a wrong mindset. We have, we have wrong mindsets about sexuality, we have wrong mindsets about finances, we have wrong mindsets. We have deep seated issues with the way we process reality because of our perspectives and our mindsets that have been bent. And what this is saying, the way that word is, is that the word of God, the truth of God has the power when you consume it and when you read it, that the Holy Spirit can take the truth that is in this book and, and, and straighten up that wrong mindset that truth then brings freedom to your life because then you begin to see the world through God's perspective. Amen, does that make sense? Yes. And I've experienced, I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony because I'm jacked up. I'm just to be honest with you. You have no idea that if you knew me at 18, even 25, even three years ago, the, the amount of healing and freedom that has come to my life from this book and you might say, "Well, you were, you know, you're a, you've been a Christian since you were, you know, a teenager, and you've been walking with God. And you're a pastor, but this is my point, and I, I'm not afraid to tell you this: that that the the Word of God, if it's around you, not doing anything, and if you're only, and if 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 even if you're just barely taking it in, or if you're just barely going." It's not doing anything. The way that the Bible talks about the work that the word of God does in our life is that it's like the mustard seed. It's like it starts so small, but then over time, all of a sudden, it's the, it's the biggest uh, plant in the garden that, that God starts with the big things in your life and there's things going on in your heart and your mind you might not even know are there until one day the Holy Spirit reveals it to you through the God's word. And, and, and I'm running out of time, but this is the heart of what he's saying. He's saying this book right here is not just a book. That it is the breath of God. It is the life of God. That it has the power to make you wise for salvation. That if you consume it, it has the power to teach you how to live life. It has the power to bring inner persuasion into your life, conviction into your life, to give you a, a faith, a confidence, a boldness, an assurance on these things. It can straighten wrong mindsets and wrong perspectives in your heart and in your mind. It can train you for righteousness. And ultimately, it can fool you, fully equip you for every good work in this life. And so I, I wanna challenge you this morning. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna pray just for a second then we're gonna worship just for a second and then all the teachers are gonna come up and we're gonna pray for them. But I wanna challenge you. If if you were suffocating physically, you would know quickly something's wrong. I have to change something. I have to do something. And I believe in my heart. I know in my heart because I walked for so long. I was suffocating spiritually, but I I was so weak I didn't even realize it. And I'm telling you, the Bible, the Word of God, every word is God-breathed, and it will change your life if you consume it. The Holy Spirit will do miracles in your heart and in your mind. It will set you free. It will bring healing to your mind. It will change you forever. It will revive you in a way that we need in this life if you will give God the opportunity to do so. And so I would challenge you, as we go in and I pray and we go into this this song of worship, I challenge you to just search your own heart and let the Spirit of God bring conviction into your life. And if you need a, a renewal with the Word of God, if you need to get your relationship with the Word of God back, start today, start tomorrow consume it every day. It will change your life. There's nothing you will ever need more than you need the Word of God in your life. Amen.